Welcome to my mommy's podcast. This podcast is brought to you by Vivos. This is something we recently invested in for our entire family, and we are absolutely loving it. And here's why. So data shows that the nutrition we receive in utero determines our palate development and how narrow or open our airway and jaw structure are. So a narrow mouth, jaw, and airway increase the chances of needing braces, of getting sleep apnea, breathing difficulties, and much more. But it was pretty much assumed that your jaw structure was set in stone once you were born or for sure after the first couple of years of life. But Vivos has found that not only is this not true, but they've created a non-invasive, non-surgical, easy way of widening the maxilla, the jaw, and the airway. So for our kids, this means that they get to avoid the braces that my husband and I both had. And for my husband, this means that his sleep apnea has disappeared and he stopped snoring, which is a bonus for me. I'll be writing more about this soon, but you can check them out in the meantime at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash vivos, V-I-V-O-S, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash vivos. This podcast is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Humans have been benefiting from bees and their nourishing superfoods since prehistoric times. From Cleopatra using honey to keep her youthful glow, to Hippocrates prescribing propolis to cure everything from sores to bacterial infection, our healing relationship with bees goes way back. Beekeepers Naturals is dedicated to bringing the age-old benefits of bee products into modern times, and they offer really high-quality propolis, royal jelly, bee pollen, and raw honey, with many other products, and all of these are sustainably sourced from a company that's dedicated to protecting and improving the bee population. My personal favorites are their propolis spray, which helped me to head off a scratchy throat, and their bee elixir mix, which is a mixture of all of those ingredients, and it's a natural nootropic that I use on busy days. You can check them out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers. Hello and welcome to the Healthy Moms Podcast. I am Katie from wellnessmama.com and this is going to be such an awesome interview because I have today Dr. Benjamin Lynch, who is most importantly a dad of three amazing boys, but he's also a doctor and he's considered one of the top experts in the world on epigenetics and genetic polymorphisms. He is super well qualified. He has degrees in biology. Uh, He has a naturopathic degree from Bastyr University, but really he has done the research and really delved into nutrigenomics and methylation and genetic research, and he's definitely hands above a lot of the other researchers. So he um, writes about all these topics, and he has a new book called Dirty Genes, which is awesome. I got a chance to read it, and you really should check it out if you're interested in this topic because it is incredible. His work is found at his own website, drbenlynch.com, and he also is the president and founder of Seeking Health, which you've probably seen me recommend a lot of their supplements on Wellness Mama. So I'm excited to have him here today. Dr. Ben, welcome. Thanks for being here. Pleasure as always, Katie. Thank you. Oh, I'm excited. I want to jump right in because I think this is a topic that people really do have a lot of questions about, especially now that we're starting to really understand it on a deeper level. So um, I want to start kind of broad and then get narrow with some specific questions from listeners. So to start off, can you kind of explain what we're able to test and know about genes with the modern technology we have and also what the limitations are when it comes to testing? Wow, that's a great question. Uh, We can test a lot. (laughs) We can test your entire genome. I mean, your entire DNA, nuclear genome, your entire mitochondrial genome. You can test your microbiome genome um, pretty much entirely. Uh, you know, but the question is, 
all right, you do all that, you get all these the data sets back, which are actually huge files. They're, they're gigabytes in data. And how do you weave that through that? How do you make it applicable to real life as a busy mom, a busy dad, or, you know, as a kid who's interested in learning about it yourself? So the data is there. The tools are there. Um, the amount of errors that you get in genetic testing are pretty small when you use a company like 23andMe. But if you're using kind of mom and pop shops that are kind of popping up all over and saying, hey, order my DNA chip um, and you can get uh, find out about if you're a fast metabolizer of caffeine and if you're going to get you know, obese at 40 or you're prone to diabetes, kind of these mom and pop genetic tools that you can get and you order their genetic um, DNA test kit itself as well. I would question their effectiveness. I question their accuracy. Um, you know, the big players like Viome, 23andMe, Genos, uh, I think these guys are, well, I know these guys are pretty credible, pretty legit, but I would, you know, I would keep it at that. And, uh, you know, we're coming out with our own DNA chip and that's the same manufacturer as what produces uh, 23andMe's chip. So they're a very credible company. Um, it's taking us some time to create it because we're, we're making sure it's accurate. And when I called the company, I said, Hey, you know, we really want to make our own chip because 23andMe does not have some of the genes that we really want. And they said, well, you, that's cool. You can add a thousand genes that you want to put on there, your own, uh, on your own. I said, okay, well, that's cool. We, we've got about, you know, 500, 600 that we're interested in. And they said, okay, great. I said, well, what's the accuracy? Of it, you know, if someone tests their MT Jafar and they they want to know if they have 1298 or 677, we'll get into that a bit later if if, if we need to. Um, but if they they test for a certain gene, how what's the specific accuracy of your test? And they said oh, it's about 80 percent. I said, well, that 80 percent isn't good enough. So out of the thousand uh, genes that they said I could put on there, really we can only have about 330 because we have to repeat the test three times to make sure it's accurate. So, you know, we reduced that thousand down to 333 because of we want people to get the right information. That's exciting. I didn't know you were coming out with the test as well. Um, and I think an important thing that you talk about, and you, I know you've written about this, but I want to make sure we explain it here too, is I've seen this kind of play out where people will test their genes and then kind of get like really concerned that this is absolutely like, oh, I have the gene for this. I'm going to get cancer. I'm going to get this. I'm going to... And so I think this is where your research is so important. So from understanding the basics of genes and the testing, can you now also explain epigenetics and what that is and how that relates to our genes? Yeah, for sure. And you're absolutely right. You know, when I first got my genetic test back years ago and I found out I had MTHFR, a significant one. And then I found out my kids had it. I was terrified. I was really scared. And then I realized I did more research on it. And, and I realized that, you know, the Italians have a very, very high rate of MTHFR that slows it down its, its performance uh, a lot as well. And I said, okay, well, how frequently do the Italians have neural tube defects or miscarriages or anything that has to do with MTHFR? Well, I shouldn't say that, have neural tube defects. And while the Americans and the Chinese have a pretty high rate of neural tube defects if the MTHFR polymorphism is present, the Italians don't. And the Italians have the same severe 
you know, MPJFR gene as the Americans and Chinese. So why aren't they having babies with neural tube defects? Well, if, if, if we think in our head, where would we want to go on vacation? <laughs> you know, we're going to pick Italy probably because they are lighthearted people. They are, are in good sun, uh, sunny weather. They have a very good Mediterranean diet. Um, they, you know, I'm stereotyping here. Um, you know, they, they have significant amount of vacation and family is really, really, really important to them. So their lifestyle, their diet, their mindset, their environment are playing key roles in how our genes are functioning. And just because you have an empty Shafar genetic variant, which many of us have, doesn't mean it's a problem. And I'm living proof of that now. Um, before my MTHFR was acting up, but it was because I was not eating my salad. It was because I was exercising way too hard at a collegiate level uh, in rowing, and I was burdening my body. I couldn't handle it. I wasn't sleeping very well. I was eating college food um, even after college. Uh, I didn't eat salads. I was taking folic acid. So uh, all these contributed to my MTHFR getting what I call dirty now. And so I've cleaned it up by living a more healthy lifestyle, reduce my stress load by doing what I love, eating healthy and, and getting rid of the people that cause stress in my life by just not associating with them anymore and, and finding people that I, I resonate with and spending more time with my family and taking vacations and my dirty empty Jafar is now clean. Yeah, and you explain that so well in the book. But um, so basically to make sure everyone listening understands and even that I understand, basically our genes are kind of our, our code that we're born with. But those can be essentially like, to oversimplify, turned kind of on or off or made more or less severe by our environment. And that would be things like the sunlight and the stress and the sleep. Is that right? Yeah, exactly. Think of it like we all have lights in our house. You know, we, we have can lighting or, or lamps in our home and they're there, but they're, they're not functioning unless we flip the switch on, right? So we have to flip the switch on. We have to turn our genes on. And we can also turn them off uh, as well. And we don't want our genes on all the time. They, they kind of pulse. And so it's, it's the lights. Sometimes you want them on in your home. Sometimes you want them off. And we control our genetic expression by our perception of the environment, by our food that we eat, the food that we don't eat, the vitamins and minerals that we take, and how we perceive if it's dangerous around us or not. Bruce Lipton does a wonderful job of explaining this as well. So it's, we have to understand that our genes are very, very buried inside of our bodies, inside the nucleus, all wrapped up and coiled, and the nucleus is inside the cell. And so our DNA sits there, all wound up, and the nucleus is in the middle, and then surrounding that cell is a cell membrane. And on that cell membrane is a bunch of little antenna. And those antenna will receive hormones, neurotransmitters, um, you know, chemicals, vitamins and minerals, sunlight, and they will perceive it, and then they will bind to the receptor on the cell membrane. The cell membrane will send the signal down to the nucleus and say, hey, DNA, wake up, make this gene, turn it on, we've got some work to do, and then the signal will go away, and the gene will go back to sleep again. So kind of think of it like that. Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. And so kind of, I think to go deeper with this, another term that you use a lot, especially in dirty genes, um, which explains this all in depth, but you use the term genetic polymorphisms. So can you explain like specifically what that means and maybe what a few examples of that would be? 
Yeah, so genetic polymorphism is a very, very common, a lot of people think as a, as a mutation. It's a, it's a differentiation of what the typical, our typical ancestors have. So we'll say the majority of the population spells uh, the name Matthew with two T's, M-A-T-T-H-E-W, and that's Matthew. I spell my son's name Matthew with one T because it's more Russian, M-A-T-H-E-W. So the common variant or the common majority of people spell it Matthew. I have a, Matthew has a polymorphism in his name because he's missing a T, right? So the function is still the same. His name is still, you know, recognized. It still sounds the same. It's still acting the same, but there is a slight variation in it. So the same with genetic polymorphisms like M.T. Jafar, there's a slight misspelling in the gene. And since there's a slight misspelling in the gene, it changes that gene shape a little bit. And when you get an altered shape, you get altered performance. So having a variant or a polymorphism in M.T. Jafar can slow it down by anywhere from 20% all the way up to a very, very severe form, like 90%. And it's very common. And if, since genetic polymorphisms are really common, we have to ask, well, if they're really common, then there must be some benefit to it. And there are. So like MTGFR has been around, has been naturally selected for over multiple generations because people who got exposed to malaria, our ancestors, if you had MTGFR, you survived it. You know, that increased your survivability if you had MTGFR. And there's various reasons for that. But nowadays, we don't really live in environments with malaria, most of us. And we have MTGFR, so now we think of it as a burden and a problem. But we've, we've displaced our ancestral environment to wherever we are now. So I'm in Seattle. My ancestors most likely weren't in Seattle. They were in London or they were somewhere in Ireland. So I've transplanted myself. So SNPs are, SNPs are just slightly altered function of the gene, but there is typically a benefit to it. And we, we commonly forget that. Such an important point. And I think that I love that you make that distinction of genetic polymorphisms versus mutations, because I think mutation has a very negative connotation and it like it does make the assumption that something is automatically wrong. Um, but I, I think that that's a really important point. So you touched on MTHFR briefly, but from what I've read, there seems to be a whole lot of confusion about what this actually is on a genetic level and what it actually means for the body. So can you just walk us through, um, like if someone has just maybe a moderate MTHFR polymorphism, like what that would look like as far as their body's ability to methylate in that, in that instance? Yeah, so if someone has a moderate you know, speed of MTHFR, meaning we have to first understand that genes do work. Okay, so genes are everywhere in us, and when they're called upon, they have to go to work. And so if you hire an employee and, or yourself, let's say, let's keep it real. Let's keep it to yourself. If you stay up all night and you drink and you party and the next morning you got to get up at six and go to work, are you going to be performing very well? No, because you've put all this burden on yourself and you can't now perform to your fullest potential. Now let's say it's dark outside and it's even harder for you to wake up. You need light to wake up. So MTHFR kind of does the same thing, where if you are born with an MTHFR polymorphism, your ability to handle stressors or alcohol is reduced. If you look at yourself and you compare yourself to your neighbor and say, you know what, 
my neighbor can drink 10 beers and they're fine. I can only drink one my whole life. I've only been to drink one. It's because your genes have their own set of abilities to perform. And with MD Javar, it's slightly slower. It doesn't mean that it's bad. It still means that you have capacity to do work. MD Javar is only slightly slowed. We'll say by 50% capacity. That means that you shouldn't drink as much. It means you should sleep better. It should mean that you should eat more salad or you know, exercise more moderately. So your methylation cycle, a lot of people are not going to know what that is, but it, it controls a lot of important things like making your cell membranes by making your neurotransmitters. And MCHFR regulates that. So if it's not working as well, then your methylation cycle, making your neurotransmitters and your cell membranes is also not going to work as well. But a lot of people freak out about that. But again, having a 50% capacity of your MPHFR to support your methylation is usually enough. It's usually fine. I mean, because it's been selected for over multiple generations. The problem is our ancestors didn't have internet. Our ancestors didn't work past evening because it was dark outside. You know, they didn't walk around with fire all night and type on their iPads and do uh, emails. So we have evolved to put more work and demands on our genes that our ancestors had. And that slower MTGFR was good for them, but for us it's not because we keep putting the work on. I hope that makes sense. It does. So basically, to make sure I'm understanding, someone who has any kind of polymorphism with MTHFR, they would have trouble um, converting, I believe it's folate or folic acid into the more usable form for the body that would be important in all those reactions and things like lack of sleep or drinking too much. Those would all further impair the body's ability. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. So folic acid is, you know, it's way, there's many, many steps to convert folic acid into the body's usable form of folate. And the body's usable form of folate, the primary one, is methylfolate. Over 80% of your folate in your blood is methylfolate, and that's made by the MTHFR gene. So it, it's very, very important. But you can also get folate from your food, your leafy green vegetables and organ meats, especially liver. Yeah, that's a great point. Another, um, so we did, you were one of my very early podcast interviews, and I got a lot of great questions on that one. A lot of people also asked about VDR polymorphisms and what that means from for the body and like how the environment impacts that. So can you give us a little primer on that as well? VDR is a gene that's got a ton of research, and there's a, there's a lot of polymorphisms there. The problem is uh, VDR is, is, stands for vitamin D receptor. And as we know, vitamin D is extremely important. I mean, it's, it's all over the news, and you're probably taking it yourself, and a lot of your listeners as well, they should be. But VDR's job is to, there's a lot of them. So the research is conflicting. So I can't give you a straight answer on what common polymorphisms VDR has, like VDR folk or VDR TAC. Um, these are their common SNPs for, for VDR. One research paper will say it can increase your risk for cancer. Another one say it will decrease it. Another one say it will increase your risk of, of diabetes. Another one will say it will decrease it. So you can't, you can't make a judgment call on what the impact really of, is right now on VDR because the research is still too new and conflicting. And, and part of the reason is, is because research is looking at trying to pinpoint a singular variable. And anytime you try to pinpoint a singular variable on such an important gene like VDR, it's hard. MTHFR, it supports the production of methylfolate, which, which supports methylation. 
and you can check homocysteine to kind of see how that's working. That's pretty easy. Now, when it comes to VDR, vitamin D triggers your, your helps trigger insulin. It supports your immune system. It supports your bone health, supports your bile flow and your liver health. I mean, it supports neurotransmitters and serotonin. Um, it does a tremendous amount of things. So it's, it's very difficult to pinpoint what these SNPs do for VDR. So I cannot answer that, uh, unfortunately, uh, and neither can research. That makes sense. Would you say that in general, for the most part, like with what we do know of research, that things like getting a moderate amount of healthy sun exposure would be one thing that would we think support someone with a VDR polymorphism? Yeah. And so, you know, in my, my genetic tool report that I have, Stratagene, we do show VDR because people are interested in it and I'm interested in it too. I'm trying to pinpoint where people are having problems. You know, if a lot of people with autoimmune diseases have VDR, is that, are they more, pro, are they more prone you know, to auto, autoimmune if they have VDR? I'm not sure yet. So we're just kind of collecting data and, and asking people. Um, so I would say you're right. Let's get out in the sun more. Let's eat, you know, fatty, fishy foods um, that provide vitamin D. Um, and then let's supplement with vitamin D and make sure we're getting vitamin K as well so we don't just get high amounts of, of calcium in our system. Um, and But we and test for vitamin D. You know, see how you're doing. It's, you know, 25-hydroxyvitamin D, 25-OH vitamin D you can get from your doctor is pretty inexpensive. The problem is if you are low in vitamin D, let's say it's 20, and you supplement with it to get it up to 40, and you actually don't feel good. You actually feel worse. You're thinking, well, what's going on here? And people need to order a ratio of vitamin D. And it's, it's a lot of doctors will look at you cross-eyed just like they look at you cross-eyed when you try to order free T3, free T4, and, and all these other thyroid hormones. But the right way to evaluate vitamin D is to order the 25-hydroxy vitamin D and what they call the act, most active form, which is 125-vitamin D. And very few are doing this. And to keep it very short and very simple, your body uses a ton of vitamin D for many, many things. And a big, was an, big one is infections and mold exposures, Lyme, um, you know, viruses, and so on. So you can have low vitamin D, but the problem is your active form of vitamin D can also be very high. And if your active form 125 is very high, that's a sign that you're fighting an infection of some sort and the viruses have basically told the vitamin D receptor, instructed it to not work because the bacteria and the viruses will bind to the vitamin D receptor and make it ineffective. So the 125 levels are high because your 25-hydroxy is going in there. And this is, this is all in depth. It's probably getting too much for you guys, but basically infections are smart because they want to, they want to control. They want to control your immune system so they don't die. They don't want to die. They want to sit there and reproduce just like we do. So they will suck all the vitamin D, but make it inactive and, and not be able to make it work. So, in short, if you want to really understand, and I have an article on this on, on drbenlins.com about vitamin D and infections. It's and it's been read widely, um, and I talk about the ratio of 125 and 25 a bit more in depth there. Perfect. I'll make sure that's linked in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm for anyone who's looking for it if you're driving. This podcast is brought to you by Vivos. This is something we recently invested in for our entire family, and we are absolutely loving it. And here's why. So data shows that the nutrition we receive in utero 
determines our palate development and how narrow or open our airway and jaw structure are. So a narrow mouth, jaw, and airway increase the chances of needing braces, of getting sleep apnea, breathing difficulties, and much more. But it was pretty much assumed that your jaw structure was set in stone once you were born or for sure after the first couple of years of life. But Vivos has found that not only is this not true, but they've created a non-invasive, non-surgical, easy way of widening the maxilla, the jaw, and the airway. So for our kids, this means that they get to avoid the braces that my husband and I both had. And for my husband, this means that his sleep apnea has disappeared and he stopped snoring, which is a bonus for me. I'll be writing more about these soon, but you can check them out in the meantime at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash vivos, V-I-V-O-S, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash vivos. This podcast is brought to you by Beekeepers Naturals. Humans have been benefiting from bees and their nourishing superfoods since prehistoric times. From Cleopatra using honey to keep her youthful glow, to Hippocrates prescribing propolis to cure everything from sores to bacterial infection, our healing relationship with bees goes way back. Beekeepers Naturals is dedicated to bringing the age-old benefits of bee products into modern times, and they offer really high-quality propolis, royal jelly, bee pollen, and raw honey, with many other products, and all of these are sustainably sourced from a company that's dedicated to protecting and improving the bee population. My personal favorites are their propolis spray, which helped me to head off a scratchy throat, and their bee elixir mix, which is a mixture of all of those ingredients, and it's a natural nootropic that I use on busy days. You can check them out at wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers, all one word, wellnessmama.com forward slash go forward slash beekeepers. Another one that we got a lot of questions about was the CBS polymorphisms. So can you explain what that is and how that may affect our bodies? There's a, there's a lot of emphasis on SNPs. There's a lot of emphasis on getting a genetic report back and saying, guy, I have EDR, I have empty Jafar, I have CBS. And then what they do is they try to supplement or they try to fix the SNP. And if you are trying to fix the SNP of empty Jafar by taking methylfolate, you're going to maybe get lucky and have good outcome. You might see you have a VDR SNP and say, okay, I'm going to take 5,000 IUs of vitamin D every day, and that's what I should do. You see a CBS SNP, and you're like, oh, uh, it's faster, and I'm going to avoid vitamin B6, I'm going to reduce my sulfur intake, and that's what you should do. So this, these gene SNP polymorphism-based treatments fail over and over and over and over again. They do not work. All they do is they create frustration, and people are trying to treat the gene rather than themselves. So I actually try to encourage people to now stop using genetic testing because it's not being used right. So even though I'm developing a genetic chip, there's a reason I'm doing it because I want, I want to optimize unborn children. I want to optimize people's lives. That's how you use genetic testing. You don't use genetic testing to treat a SNP, to optimize your MTGFR or to optimize your CBS. You optimize yourself. And that's, that's the big issue because the CBS is all over the internet. I've got videos on YouTube uh, about CBS as well that are, are free to watch. And CBS is the most common variant polymorphism of CBS. It actually slows it way down and can increase your homocysteine. So the CBS gene it's the number one cause for high homocysteine that is genetic. 
So if, if your mom and your dad and your brother and your sister or a few members of your family have high homocysteine just across the board, the likelihood of you having a CBS gene which isn't working very quickly or effective, it's, it's dirty, then your homocysteine is climbing. On the internet, a lot of people are reading that, oh, I have a faster CBS gene and therefore I don't tolerate sulfur and I can't eat much protein and glutathione makes me sick and vitamin B6 is bad. So they cut the vitamin B6, they cut the sulfur, they, and they, they, they feel better for a little while, maybe a week or two, and then they start feeling really ill. And this happens all the time. So this is because they're treating the SNP. And I teach professionals and the general public all the time that you need to understand how your body is working and why it's responding, what it means. And I, I talk about why sulfur can be problematic. And it typically has to do with sulfites, molybdenum, and inflammation. It has nothing to do with the CBS polymorphism. So I think the CBS polymorphism is bogus. That's such an important distinction. And I think that's a great role to apply to any aspect of life or medicine is to not treat like a single thing, but to treat it, treat the body as a whole, treat the person as a whole. And I love that. And you explain it really well in um, Dirty Genes, but I love what you just said about you want to, to be able to use genetic testing to optimize unborn children and to optimize our, our lives in general. So can you talk about that like on a practical level? Like how are you able to use genetic testing the right way to then help people to not have dirty genes, to clean things, clean things up from there. Perfect. Great question. And, and I'll preface it with, with this, which is the whole concept of the book. The whole concept of the book is what we're doing on our, our daily lives, every single day, every single evening, what we're doing or not doing is affecting how our genes are working. So you're either doing something right now that is helping your genes or you're doing something right now that is dirtying your genes, or you're doing a combination of both. If you're sitting down, maybe not so helpful. If you're standing up and walking around or you're exercising while listening to this, that could be helpful. You know, if you're exposed to Wi-Fi, that can be dirtying your genes. So what's happening nowadays with how inexpensive it is to get genetic testing, a lot of people are doing it because they're curious. And that's great. Curiosity is fantastic. Get the genetic testing. But you cannot run the genetic test and see the report and say, I have CBS, I have MPHFR, I have BDR. How do I fix that? How do I fix that? And you go to your doctor and say, doctor, fix that because it doesn't work. You need to evaluate your diet, your lifestyle, your mindset, how much exercise you are doing, all the fundamental things. Once you do all of that, all of it, all the stuff that your grandmother told you to do, you're breathing right, you're exercising, you're avoiding the chemicals. All the stuff that they're, they're learning on your website about enhancing their health. Then and only then do you take that genetic report and you look at it and you say, okay, I have an MTHFR that's not working very well. And then you ask yourself, okay, am I taking folic acid? No, I'm not. I know that's bad. Am I eating leafy green salad? Yes. Yeah, I am. Is my homocysteine level high? No, it's about seven or eight. It looks pretty good. Great. Do I have any heart high blood pressure right now? No, that's good. Have I had any recurrent miscarriages, you know, just recently? No. Good. My empty bar is clean. Okay? It, it's fine. Now, if a, if a person comes in, you know, if I was seeing patients, which I'm not now, uh, I wish I was, but I just don't have the time. If a patient comes in with a genetic report and they've done all the fundamental stuff, they've done all the key core things, they're sleeping, they're eating right, they're breathing right, their community is good, their hobbies are good, they're avoiding chemicals, they're doing all that good stuff. And they say, hey, we want to get pregnant. 
genetic testing can be very useful. I'm not talking about genetic testing to see if the child is going to be high risk for celiac or high risk for, you know, these other genetic diseases and mutations that are, are really deadly and scary. Because what are you going to do about it? You have, you have no tools against that. You can't do anything. I'm talking about ordering genetic tests that show if you have MPGFR, that show that you might have a slower nitric oxide synthase gene, NOS3, which I talk about in Dirty Genes. If you have a slower PEMT gene, which makes your phosphatidylcholine, your cell membranes, which you need for that growing baby, for making your placenta, for moving your bile so you don't get SIBO or fatty liver, very, very important genes, MTGFR, NOS3, and PEMT, all three discussed in Dirty Genes in depth. And there's quiz questions in there as well. And that's what I used to do in clinic. You know, when I was working with, with individuals, I would say, hey, you know, let's look at your labs. Let's ask you some questions and we can determine if, if these genes are dirty or not. Just because you have a MTGFR that's slow, because you have an NOS that's slow, or you have a PEMT gene that's slow, doesn't mean they are. It just means you're more susceptible to them. And so knowing this ahead of pregnancy is very powerful because if they are dirty, if you do have issues with fatty liver or you do have issues with your um, bile and you have gallbladder problems or you're not eating uh, leafy greens and your doctor told you to take folic acid, all these are going to dirty your genes, which is going to dirty the baby in, in developing. And it's going to be born with a less chance to thrive and survive. And so when you utilize genetic testing from an optimizing perspective, to identify risks and support them, then you are doing a phenomenal job. And that's that's where Dirty Genes comes into play, and that's the real magic because there's quizzes built into it that tell you if it's the genes dirty and then how to clean it up. And beyond that, it tells you what the genes do, how they work, so you understand when you get a symptom, it's like, oh, you know, now I have fatty liver and PMT is associated with you know, moving this through and doing this and doing that. And once you understand the basics of that, then you say, okay, when it's dirty, you understand why it's dirty because it's not functioning right. And I give you tools on how to restore the function. Very easy and non-science speak. So for optimizing performance in sport, uh, in school, if you have ADHD, like my oldest son does, does I use that to, to support him. He came home one day from school and he said, dad, I'm really struggling in school. I said, well, what's going on? He goes, man, I can't focus. It's really bugs me. You know, the teacher's talks and, you know, I listen for a second and then I'm, I'm fidgeting. And for a 13 year old kid, a boy to tell you that he knows something serious. Right? So I, I told him, okay, that's a dopamine problem. You're, you have lower dopamine. So you have a faster COMT gene, which we talk about in the book, dirty genes. What we need to do is get more protein in you so you can make, you get adequate tyrosine, which your COMTD gene will use to make your dopamine, and then you'll think better. And he goes, oh, okay, so I need to eat more protein? Yeah, and I said, eat more protein, which I've been telling you all the time because you're a carb junkie. And when you're not eating enough protein, take some tyrosine. Take 500 milligrams of tyrosine to also support the production of your dopamine. Got it. He did that? Great. The kid is basically a straight-A student. He might get a B every now and then, but he's excelling in school. That's how I utilize genetic testing. I don't say, hey, you have a faster COMT gene genetically, you need to take tyrosine. And because that wouldn't work. Because he could be focused in school. He could be performing. He could be doing really, really well. And if I gave him more tyrosine, 
then I can make them very irritable, anxious, and causing insomnia, which is what happens when you treat the SNP, not the person. Yeah, I love that you make that distinction. And I think I just read, actually, I read Dirty Jeans last night, and I think it really does break it down well. Because um, like I said earlier, I think there's a lot of misinformation out there. But I want to touch a little bit more on the miscarriage connection, because I know that's one that I've personally gotten a lot of questions about because my audience is largely in that phase of life. I know that right now that there's a little bit of knowledge about it in conventional medicine. And I've had friends who had to have three miscarriages before their doctor said, oh, okay, now the protocol says we can test you for this. But can you explain like why there could be a link there? And is it a better idea if someone has had a miscarriage to test that before they have three? Or what can someone do even if their doctor may not be up on that? Great question. So test for MTHFR, you mean, or test for what? Yes, I'm sorry, test for MTHFR, because I know that um, that's something you've talked about and that there could be a potential link there, but I'd love if you could go a little deeper on that. Yeah, I, I can go way deeper because this is actually my next book. My next book is on preconception and pregnancy and what to do right after. So I'm really excited about it. I couldn't write it first because first I had to clean up the mom and dad's genes, right? The future mom and dad's genes before they get pregnant. So that's, we do that. And then, so the first people before you know, get pregnant, they read Dirty Genes, and then they, they read, they'll be reading the next book, which will be coming out, hopefully, probably 2019. Um, but to answer your question now, there are a number of genes which increase risk of miscarriage. There's nitric oxide synthase, which we talk about, NOS3, and Dirty Genes. There is MDHFR, which we talk about, and there is um, PEMT, which we talk about. So three really, really important genes and there's another one which I do not talk about, and that's factor five, F5. So factor five laden is, is pretty common. That increases clotting. So if you have a combination of MTHFR and factor five, your risk for miscarriage goes way up. If you have a combination of MTHFR and PMT and NOS3 and factor five, it goes way up. So you can go and get genetic testing for these. That's true. You can. Now, is it necessary? No, it's not. What's necessary is to understand, first of all, why is the miscarriage happening? Is it hormonal? Is it nutritional deficiency? Is it nutritional excess? Is it environmental exposures? Is it, you know, is it the nutritional supplements that you are taking are very, very inferior, like folic acid? Um, folic acid will cause a, a big problem. Uh, there's another gene which is not talked about really ever, and that's the DHFR gene, which is dihydrofolyreductase, and that's the first gene that will handle folic acid. So folic acid will come in the DHFR and be processed. The problem is there's a huge range of performance in DHFR, just like there is in MTHFR, that doesn't work. So if you have a combination of DHFR and MTHFR and you're taking folic acid, your, your folate metabolism is wrecked. And think about what is going on in pregnancy or, yeah, what's going on in pregnancy. You are supporting yourself as a woman. You have to have your own cells healthy and your own mind healthy and your own detox and all that. Your, your usual day-to-day -day body systems have to be working for you. Then you have to be strong enough to support the development of an entirely new organ, the placenta. Then you have to be handling the huge amount of new hormones loads that you are producing, which is not your normal self. Then you have to be dealing with developing baby, which is using up a ton of nutrients. So there's four major things going on. Your own health, 
a huge increase in, in hormones, the, the new organ development, and the developing baby. Four highly, highly demanding systems going on. So a, a recurrent miscarriage, there's something broken in that series of four. Is it blood flow? Is it you know lack of blood flow? Is it clots? Is it nutritional deficiencies? Is the cell membranes not forming? Uh, is it toxicity? Is it too many chemicals? Um, you know, so we have to figure that out. So I'm not really a fan of genetic testing unless people have done their foundation work. And in the book, Dirty Genes, I, I don't even, I, you don't even have to have genetic testing. And I don't want people supplementing either. I, I keep saying throughout the book until about 200 page, 280, I said, I don't want you taking supplements until you do all this stuff because it's going to cloud how your genes are actually working. Instead of what I want women and men, because women are, men are also very, very important for pregnancy, is I want them to focus on their cleaner lifestyle. I want them focusing on reducing stress, and I want them focusing on real nutrients. Folic acid is not a real nutrient. It was great when we, that's all we had, but we have more now. We need folinic acid and methylfolate. Folinic acid is used for DNA-based synthesis in your blood, your immune cells and your red blood cells and your platelets, you need folinic acid for that. You need methylfolate to support your methylation, and much of your methylation is used up to support cell membrane formation. And what can happen if the body cannot make enough cell membranes? I mean, just think of what the placenta is. It's a massive amount of cell membranes. What is the baby? A huge amount of cell membranes. Where there's one cell, it divides to two, divides to four, divides, you know, it just keeps dividing like crazy, which is using up a ton of phosphatidylcholine, which is what that PEMT gene makes, which MTHFR helps support. So instead of worrying about the genes, I say, look, support with real folates, eat your salads, and supplement with methylfolate and folinic acid. Support your choline metabolism. You can take phosphatidylcholine directly as a supplement. You can also eat eggs if you tolerate them and you're not a vegan. And you can also um, support things like carnitine. Metabolism is also very important. And carnosine, which is a great antioxidant, you can support with glutathione prior to pregnancy and possibly during, but it's not researched. Nobody really knows the safety of glutathione. So I'd much rather people just focus on the core nutrition and their core health prior to getting pregnant rather than worry about genetic testing, because once again, what's going to happen? They do the genetic test. I guarantee you, if they don't have MTHFR, you know, a polymorphism or a SNP, they'll say, oh, I can take folic acid, or they will not care more. They won't work as hard about eating leafy greens or supplementing with active folates. If they don't have a NOS3, a nitric oxide synthase uh, genetic problem, they'll say, oh, my genetic uh, genetics are clean. But you know what? That's a piece of paper. That's your gene. That's the lights in your house. You know, you, you have to control how these genes work. And that's your lifestyle, diet, mindset, and environment, and your perception thereof. So I'd rather, not, I'd rather people not do genetic testing prior to pregnancy unless they've done the fundamentals again. Because what happens so very often is they say, Guy, Dr. Lynch, I don't have MTHFR. I don't have NOS3. I don't have PEMT. I don't have DHFR. All those genes are clean. Well, I don't care. It's your environment, it's your lifestyle that's dirtying them up. So clean that up, support it, and things will change. And I cannot tell you how many women across this amazing planet of ours are using our prenatal and seeing their recurrent miscarriages 
stop. And then they get pregnant, they continue the prenatal, they have a beautiful baby, and the baby is doing healthy and thriving. It's because our prenatal contains the active forms of nutrients that they need, and it's, it's, it's the core. Is it based upon genetics, research, and epigenetics? Yes. And it's, does it support the individual regardless of what genes they have? Yes. So that's, that's how I like to go about it. Yeah, and I can certainly vouch for that. I've used your prenatal with my last two pregnancies, and I felt great on it. But you also highlight something that I've written about several times, which is that you can't out-supplement a poor diet or a poor lifestyle. So I love that you really drill that down in the book, that um, this is a great tool. And obviously, you know, prenatal vitamins are a great thing when you're pregnant, especially if they have the right forms of the nutrients. But they don't ever take the place of a really high-quality diet, lots of nutrients, and especially sleep and all the, the other factors that you talk about. So I love that you really hammer that home. And, um, but so basically if I'm understanding, if someone has done all of these things and they are really trying to, you know, make sure they have a clean lifestyle, they're eating really nutrient dense foods and they're still having recurrent miscarriages, that might be a time that they could really look into genetic testing and use it appropriately. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Cause if, if you have a, if you have a combination of MT Jafar and factor five laden, um, you know, you, you might need to be looking at anti- uh, blood clotting uh, medications or baby aspirins, you might need to take, you know, step up the intervention a little bit. You know, you, there's also other genes which I have not researched yet, but I, I will be. Um, I want to be looking at hormones. I want to look at progesterone. I know estrogen pretty well, but I want to look at more progesterone and, and oxytocin and all these other ones. Um, but I, I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, I will. So, but yeah, I, I highly recommend that they would do genetic testing. The problem is, is finding a health professional who understands the intervention to take that's appropriate. Um, you know, the, the guidelines, the official guidelines, I think it's the American College of Medical Genetics, um, they say MTHFR is, is not important. They're, the standard recommendation that they use is, is to say, take folic acid. Don't worry about it. Um, that's, that's totally wrong. It's total nonsense. Um, and I have videos on YouTube for free. You know, folic acid in pregnancy is a great video to watch, um, which goes through why folic acid is not recommended. And I use published research to explain why. And I also have a case of a woman who was struggling with recurrent miscarriage who was taking high amounts of folic acid and was still miscarrying. So obviously it doesn't work for everyone. Yeah, that's a great point. And I've gotten that question as well. Like a lot of people asking if I don't have an MTHFR mutation. And like you mentioned, you touched on this earlier, but I've gotten this question. So I want to specifically have you answer it, which is, is there ever a time and a place for folic acid? Or even if someone doesn't know if they have a polymorphism or if they know they don't have one, can they still just opt for the methylfolate form? Great question. So I hear a couple questions in there. First, I'll, first I'll simplify the question a little bit and say, do I ever need to take the supplement folic acid? No. No, you don't. Our ancestors, humans have been on this planet for a long time. I don't even know how long. You know, hundreds of thousands, millions of years, I don't know. That amount of time is a long time. And the, the humans have been here reproducing very well. We wouldn't be here if not. Folic acid was introduced in the late 1980s as a solution to destroying the nutritional content in grains in order to preserve and extend shelf life of processed food. Because what happened was, is they 
you know, the industrial revolution said, Hey, we want to make money. We need to, we need to, we can't make fresh bread every day. It's not scalable. We need to be able to transport it and have a whole bunch sitting on the shelves. And they learned that if they strip the nutritional content out of the grains, then it will sit there longer. Women were having recurrent miscarriages left and right. They would have neural tube defects left and right. They'd have congenital birth defects left and right. And like, oh my God, this isn't good. What do we do? Instead of going back to what nature provided and say, you know what, that was stupid of us. We need to not strip all the nutritional content out of food and let's just put it back and we'll go back to making fresh bread and, and fresh grains and so on. What they did is they synthesized folic acid and they threw it into the bread. And yes, that helps some women for sure. It, neurotube defects did go down. Recurrent miscarriages did go down, but not for everyone, a small percentage. And some percentages higher depending on ancestry. So my point is, is if nature was providing us real folates and humans decide to synthesize a nutrient that is not utilized physiologically at all by the body, unless it's transformed by various genes, we never, there's no point to take it, especially now that we have active forms of folinic acid, which is also called calcium folinate, which I describe in my video, folic acid in pregnancy, and there's methylfolate which is readily available as well. And we have leafy green vegetables. Folate stands for folar, which stands for foliage. So eat your foliage, get your folates, and you know you never, never need to take folic acid. Now the next question is, well, I can't tolerate methylfolate. I don't do well with methylfolate. Okay, well, there's an article on mtgpar.net called Preventing Methylfolate Side Effects that you can reference. Usually, usually it's an electrolyte deficiency. Usually you're taking your methylfolate without protein or, or food. Usually you're getting adequate folate anyway in your diet and you don't need it. Uh, usually there's, um, you know, lack of sleep or the lifestyle things are in play or there's chronic infections going on as well. So all these things are, are major reasons why I don't tolerate methylfolate. So the solution is to either not take methylfolate or folate in general you just get it from your food, or you can try folinic acid, which is an unmethylated form of folate, and see how you do with that. If you do well with that, great. And some days you will need more folinic acid than others, and other days you'll need some methylfolate. Look, I don't take, I have a, a pretty dirty empty Jafar genetically. I was born with a slower, dirty empty Jafar. You know, its capacity functions at about 30%. That means 70% function is, is lost compared to the typical person who does not have MTGFR. But I eat my salad. I don't drink alcohol uh, very, very rarely. I mean, like once every couple months. Um, and I get my sleep. I get my mild water and exercise. You know, I take care of myself. And then I'll supplement with methylfolate, maybe 400 micrograms every day, maybe every other day. And uh, so we need to understand that Again, genes do work, and if I travel or I'm doing a presentation or I have a huge workload, then yeah, I'll take more folate. If I'm on vacation, I probably won't supplement at all. That's a good distinction, and I know you have um, a whole bonus chapter on this, and I want to talk about it kind of to circle back and leave people with 
the practical and the positive because I think that's what Dirty Jeans does a great job of. So um, let's talk a little bit about the, the practical ways that we know that environment can affect our genes and what are some ways we can protect our genes. And of course, I'll link to your website where you have that 26 steps to clean genes for anyone who wants to download that. But can you kind of walk us through a few of them? Yeah, so the, the 26 steps are the ABCs. And I was trying to keep this very, very practical and actionable and understandable. And because anytime you enter the realm of genetics and epigenetics, it's like, oh my God, and you immediately turn off and walk away. So it's, it's not hard. It's not hard. So the, the 26 steps are the ABCs, and I'll, I'll mention a few of them. Avoid. Avoid what? Avoid the things that don't make you feel good. And I specifically chemicals. If, if you are inhaling chemicals, air fresheners, cleaners, uh, toxic soaps and shampoos, uh, car exhaust, uh, you know, non-organic, dirty dozen foods, these things are bringing in a ton amount of chemicals into your system, which then your genes have to clean up. Again, genes do work. So if you bring in all that work, then your genes get loaded and your genes have to use your vitamins and minerals and other resources to perform. And if you're not able to have those resources available for various reasons, then you're going to get symptoms. So the best way to support your genes, number one, and I'm glad it's letter A, is avoid. So, and also avoid stressors. Avoid the news. I haven't watched the news in probably a decade. Now, you know, I still vote for presidents, even though we didn't have a really good choice last year. Um, you know, I didn't like either uh, personally, but I, there's, there's, there's things that you have to do in life and avoidance is perfect. Is there an individual that is causing you problems? Then avoid them. Just say, you know what? We've moved on. And this happened to my wife the other day and she was, she was really in tears over it. And I said, Nadia, look, every time you used to see her, you would come home crying anyway, every time for like the past five years. So how is that? And you were always walking on tiptoes when you would have this friend over or you went to her house or you try to go to sauna or, or you go on a bike ride, you always were filtering what words came out of your mouth. And that was causing tremendous amounts of stress. And no matter how careful you were around her, she still tore into you for some reason and she had no right to. So this relationship is finished and I am thankful for it. So you need to find these toxic relationships just because you had a friend uh, in third grade and you're now in your 40s, you know, you've moved on and so have they. It's okay to be different. So cut out those toxic relationships, avoid them and avoid the stressors. Uh, this is really, really important. That's the number one. Number two is breathe, which is also incredibly important. If you are, you know, exercising right now or you're just listening, Focus on your breath right now. Is your stomach moving forward and out or is your stomach flat? Go ahead and put your hand on your stomach and is it even moving in and out. Mine is, even though I'm sitting, it's harder to breathe when you're sitting than when you're standing. So if you're breathing from your chest or your neck up, that's a shallow breath. Are you holding your breath? Are you sitting there with your mouth open? Is your mouth open right now? Mine is because I'm talking. But if you're listening, your mouth should be closed. And you should be breathing through your nose and your nose should be clear. If it's not clear, 
Are there food intolerances? Are there environmental issues? Your sinus should be clear. Mine is clear. I can breathe through my nose. Every day, I clean my nose either with a neti pot or I just put my hand under some water when I'm in the shower because I have a shower filter because I avoid chlorine in the shower, avoidance. So I take a cup full of, of water while I'm in the shower and I gently snort up uh, a little bit of water and I blow it out the other side. Graphic, excuse me, but I keep my sinuses clear morning and night, even a few times during the day. Uh, so breathing is very, very important. There's something called email apnea. And email apnea is a, is a big problem. People will sit in front of their computer and hold their breath. If you find yourself yawning recurrently, that's a sign. If you find yourself going, <sighs> sighing often, that's an issue. So sleeping with your mouth open, that's an issue. These are all very practical because if you're without oxygen for three minutes, you're dead or you have severe brain damage. So we have to focus on the basics. Chemicals, too much, you're dead. Chew is, so I'll stick with, I'll stop at C. Chewing is the letter C in the ABCs. If you're not chewing your food, that's a problem. My oldest son is a snake. Watching him eat, I just, I, I want to take a baseball bat to his plate uh, and, and just tell him, hey, slow down. It doesn't work that way. Your stomach doesn't have teeth, your pancreas, neither does your gallbladder or your liver or your small intestine. There's no teeth there. You have teeth in your mouth. It got them. Use them. So your stomach acid can get around there and digest it and absorb it. So the pancreas can squirt the bicarbonate, the pancreatic enzymes, so it can process it, so it can absorb it. So your bile can then squirt on the fat-soluble foods and absorb the fat-soluble nutrients. If you're not chewing your food, you're not absorbing your food. Food first is fuel and nutrients. That's why we eat. We don't eat because it tastes good and because we want it or crave it. We eat because our body needs fuel and tools. So our genes can do work. So those are the top three that, uh, you know, the top, the first three, and then there's 23 others that are just like that. I love it. And anyone listening should be able to buy Dirty Jeans anywhere books are sold. But um, please let everybody know where they can find you online. If they're listening now and want to find out more, where can they find you in the online world? The online world, drbenlynch.com. And my Facebook is very active. We have a Facebook live once a week. In fact, I'm going there right after this, after I walk around a little bit because I've been sitting too long. Um, but uh, we have a Facebook Live once a week, and the Facebook Lives are very engaging. Uh, I include you, and uh, they're very fun, and we, we record them and put them on a page for, for later viewing. But And our YouTube channel is, is not as populated right now because we're remodeling our house, but once we get back in, I'm going to have my video studio up. But there's a lot of resources on there, but you can link through those right through drbenlynch.com. And then on my supplement company at seekinghealth.com, where we've got uh, formulations that are based upon my research and uh, they're helping a lot of people. Thank you so much. And of course, all those links, you mentioned quite a few articles. All those will be in the show notes at wellnessmama.fm for anyone who's looking for those. Uh, Dr. Lynch, thank you so much for your time and for being here and for all the research you do. Thank you, Katie. And thanks for interviewing other experts and practicing what you preach. And you know what you're doing is helping a lot of people as well. So I thank you for it. Keep going and stay healthy. If I can help you in any way, let me know. Thank you so much. And thanks to all of you for listening. And I will see you next time on the Healthy Moms Podcast. If you're enjoying these interviews, would you please take two minutes to leave a rating or review on iTunes for me? Doing this helps more people to find the podcast, which means even more moms and families can benefit from the information. I really appreciate your time. And thanks as always for listening.